This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the New Books Network. This is your um, podcast host, Shu Wan. Today, I'm very happy to invite Dr. Peng to join us to introduce the, um, the book, fantastic book, A Feminist Reading of China's Digital Public Sphere. So the first thing I want to do here today is I want to invite Dr. Peng to introduce, take a brief self-introduction. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Shu. And uh, this is really a great honor to meet everyone. I mean, virtually. Uh, I'm Altman Peng from uh, Warwick Applied Linguistics. I'm currently an assistant professor in international uh, intercultural communications and currently working at Warwick's uh, Applied Linguistics department. And I previously lectured at in uh, Newcastle University, for example, uh, a few other universities in the UK, and did my PhD at Newcastle as well. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, so then let's turn to your book. So I, well, as I mentioned, the book of your t- the title of your book, a feminist reading of Chinese digital public sphere, it includes the keyword feminist. So for this one, I'm interested in why you are interested in gender studies. Right. Well, thanks so much for asking this very important question. Actually, I have to say there is a bit of story behind that. Uh, when I did my PhD, my research wasn't really specifically about gender, but I indeed developed my interest during uh, my PhD study when I'm uh, start exposed. I basically, I'm exposed to feminist literature uh, through conversations with my friends, through my own research, and also, uh, and also during that time, it was uh, when the Me Too start gaining traction on social media, and that was also a moment make me realize how important gender inequalities uh, they are still relevant. How relevant they are still today, in particular, um, before that, as uh, cisgender men, I don't really have that kind of experience. I have to say that kind of uh, very 
gendered perspective to understand the society, to understand the gender dimension of the society. And then uh, after the Me Too movement, after I start having conversations with friends, uh, female friends about their experience, then I realize how um, sexual harassment there, uh, how pervasive it is in women's everyday life experience. And it was, I have to hold myself accountable as well. A lot of my past views on gender uh, today I find quite problematic. So in a lot of ways, doing research in feminism is also a way to hold myself accountable as a cisgender man who exper- whose experience is very much based on a certain male privilege, that kind of very deeply embedded in my everyday life that I even myself don't notice in the past. Uh, okay, so I hope this answers your question. Yeah, thanks so much for your answer. So then I want to continue to talk about your book. So for your book, I'm wondering, I want to invite you to take an overview of the digital culture in contemporary Chinese society, where both political censorship and the neoliberal capitalism matter in the shaping of Chinese internet users' communicative practices. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have to say, in terms of the study of gender issues in China, um, they are uh, diff- very different social political environments exist out there in China, which is not completely uh, compatible to uh, the, uh, the so-called Western democracies. And in particular, indeed, we could see parallels in terms of the uh, rise of neoliberalism in a Chinese society. That is the way in which the government uh, Changed, uh, changed the uh, its governance strategy since the reform and opening up, and in this process, we indeed see some neoliberal norms or, um, or approaches to uh, economic governance, to social governance being incorporated in uh, in the Chinese context. But then in China, we have a very different political system, the one-party rule. And that determines that uh, a lot of issues, structural issues behind the scenes are not just about the, the market itself, but about how the government exerts its influence on the market and by extension society. Uh, and that's the case in gender issues as well, which reflects us, um, uh, the structure, gender inequality, we can see indeed the marketization that allows uh, certain, for example, digital uh, influencers use uh, neoliberal style of feminist discourse to target women audience. And it has, uh, uh, has been widely received by uh, certain members of the female com- uh, of the of the public, in particular, among certain uh, women. But in the meantime, the more pressing issue is really how to address the more structural issues being entrenched in the political system. And we could see the government, in particular, in recent years, it has tightened its grip on. Uh, the civil society and feminism is actually being targeted in the process. Um, so we could see if we want to achieve gender e- equality in the Chinese context, uh, uh, we have to 
reform the political system, um, uh, which is entrenched to be preserved as a masculine terror. Uh, so um, I would say the Chinese uh, gender, gendered culture in the Chinese context, it reflects a twofold uh, reshaping process by both the market economy, but more pressingly, uh, and also importantly, by the government, by the political system as well. So I hope so, that makes sense. Yeah, thanks so much for your answer. So for the next question, I want to invite you to discuss gendered digital public culture in China. Yeah, sure. So we could see in the Chinese context, as I mentioned, um, we could see the rise of a so-called neoliberal feminism uh, with certain Chinese characteristics uh, on the rise in uh, in Chinese society, especially on social media, uh, usually being propagated by uh, social media influencers and well received amongst their followers. Uh, but um, certain scholars, for example, uh, and um, I believe it's Angela Xiaowu and Dong Yige, wrote a very thought provoking piece for me. Uh, um, uh, discuss uh, gendered issues, and in particular, they noted that such neoliberal uh, feminist uh, feminist discourse or this kind of businesses, uh, even though they are still problematic in many ways, but it also reflects. Uh, it also disrupts the entrenched patriarchy uh, in Chinese society in the way. Uh, in which women navigate their everyday life experience. Of course, we still need to hold uh, those discourse accountable for its uh, certain paradoxically uh, patriarchal essence, but still its disruptive function is something we do need to recognize. And that's something probably in some of my early writings, I didn't pick that up. Okay, so that's also a bit of self-reflection. But then, more importantly, we could see a gender discourse in China often reflects as, uh, for example, that kind of the rise of misogyny, um, that kind of, uh, of masculinist discourse, which are pervasive in a lot of social media platforms, like uh, a lot of uh, platforms I research, uh, Hupu, uh, which is uh, one of the most notorious in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a platform which uh, primarily uh, preserved as a sports fandom platform and uh, mainly used by male users. And we could see it has been built, has built as almost like a safe space for misogynists to express their toxic views uh, on China's gender issues. We have to bear in mind um, those misogynist discourse, uh, in my assessment, they also constitute a kind of dissent against the patriarchal norms in society, but is dis uh, distorted in a lot of ways. It actually reflects uh, uh, the problematic or imbalanced power relations between women and men and plays out in the, uh, and intersects with 
um, other structural issues, which renders a lot of men in lower class, uh, with a lower class background or with uh, without sufficient economic resources, find themselves in even more. Uh, not necessarily even more vulnerable position, but indeed they are disadvantaged in the patriarchal system as well. And in this process, they project their critique against the patriarchal norms, but then direct that towards women instead uh, instead of the structural issues. So that, in a lot of ways, reflects their unreflective reflection on their own situation and the societal issues we have witnessed and experienced. Oh, thank you so much for your answer. For the next question, I wondering, I'm wondering how women folks Chinese digital uh, influencers, influencer use central feminist discourse to dark Chinese women and how their prioritize creates a broad boundary between feminism and the settled feminist patriarch, sorry, patriarchal values in Chinese digital cultures. Uh, well, uh, first, uh, we, we can trace back to a Chinese experience. Uh, indeed, Chinese women are not educated to, to be f- feminist or educated about gender politics by Western feminists. But indeed, uh, in many ways, we are influenced by a lot of Western feminist thinking. And that's also... Uh, the case being reflected in the way in which uh, the way in which gender politics that plays out in in the Chinese context, and uh, we could see uh, some of the digital influencers they draw on um, certain feminist ideas, the kind of so-called mainstream feminist ideas from the Western context and appropriate in a Chinese context to project their their voice. And in this process, we could see paralleling uh, the rise of neoliberalism in the West context. We could see such discourse, which features and emphasize on women's self-actualization and usually through their gendered, um, the kind of uh, quote-unquote gendered uh, characteristics, taking a lean-in approach to uh, to navigate their experience in a patriarchal society. And in this process, um, this kind of discourse often emphasize how women, they manage, their, for example, their homework balance and how to cope with uh, romantic relationships, basically how to uh, tempt uh, how to train their husbands or their uh, their boyfriend, or basically how to find the right partner for them. So this kind of discourse are uh, quite pervasive on Chinese social uh, social media, which is re- well received amongst those members of the society who subscribe to a more neoliberal uh, worldview or this kind of uh, this kind of. Uh, phenomena as we have observed. And indeed, this kind of uh, discourse, as I mentioned, it does have certain disruptive functions in the patriarchal system, but then it actually overlooks the big picture, the structural issues embedded in Chinese society that is so entrenched that cannot be 
that we cannot uh, address gender injustices without really uh, tackling those structural issues uh, in politics and in the uh, economic structure. So that's why their discourse, even though it has a certain disruptive function, is still quite problematic in many ways. Okay, thank you so much. So for the next question, I want to invite you to talk about how the divided opinions on gender relations are shaped by Chinese internet users of the platform Zhihu. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, that's also a key area of my research platform I, uh, I try, uh, worked on in many of my projects. And indeed, I observed certain very interesting differences comparing to uh, some other platforms I've worked on. Now, all platforms, they're quite unique in many ways. And Zhihu is one uh, of the interesting ones because originally it was established as a knowledge-sharing platform. And this invitation-based registration system determines that in the early year, the platform is mainly, mainly reserved for those uh, well-educated middle-class internet users. Even though after it abandoned uh, uh, those registration systems, um, uh, the user demographies changed a bit, but some of the convention being, has been reserved on this platform. Uh, show uh, manifest in gender politics as a lot of misogynist discourse. They don't present uh, in that kind of uh, present themselves as a kind of uh, open discrimination against women. Instead, he used a lot of, for example, scientific rationalization uh, uh, using uh, so seemingly relevant scientific evidence uh, to to legitimize certain problematic worldview, but it disguised with that kind of uh, scientific veneer to make it uh, more convincing a lot of ways in social media communication. Uh, but the platform, uh, platform uh, I would say comparing to Hupu is more diverse, is slightly less problematic, but still that kind of uh, uh, discriminatory uh, commentaries are still widely observed on this platform. And it shows a tendency of intersecting with uh, nationalist po- politics, which is on the rise in Chinese society in the past decades as a result of the government's uh, propaganda campaign, I would say. Uh, so I hope this answers your question. Thank you so much. So for the following question, I want to invite you to talk about Chinese internet users' discursive engagement with women's participation in the business and the political sectors. Uh, well, yeah. Um, so indeed, uh, I also uh, conduct a few research about the gender stereotypes uh, on Chinese social media platforms. Uh, and in particular, on Zhihu, a lot of discussions we have observed uh, uh, assess uh, some of the uh, successful business women or uh, or politicians, female politicians on the platform, and we could see a lot of uh, discourse. Indeed, they are gendered. They often 
portrays women in a very particular way. Those successful women, uh, they often marginalize them from their gendered characteristics to legitimize their uh, success in business or in politics. That plays out as uh, portraying themsel- uh, them as uh, hyper-masculine, that kind, of, uh, uh, that kind of more manly than men. And that uh, uh, that uh, intersects with that kind of stereotypes of leadership being a masculine concept. But in the meantime, we could see some of the discussions about women's success also allude to that kind of a very sexist view. They consider women not just as um, the kind of hyper-masculine leaders, but also as seductive mysteries a kind of discourse that they reach their position because um, because they have sexual attraction or that kind of undertones, uh, uh, sex undertones, uh, which is uh, attractive to uh, male colleagues. And this leads uh, to their success or help them to achieve success. So basically, those successful women are either Hypermasculine portrayed as high, either hypermasculine or uh, or uh, more seductive, more uh, feminine, and uh, sometimes it's also called the queen bee phenomenon. So uh, portray them as queen bee who are capable of manage their male uh, counterparts and using certain masculine masculinized leadership. Uh, abilities uh, to achieve success in a discipline or terrain, which usually unchanged for men. Okay. Thank you so much for your answer again. So for the last question today, I want to invite you to talk about the implications of gender political ethics in China's digital public sphere in relationship in relation to the wider international community. Uh, Okay, okay. Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Last question is that I want to invite you to talk about the implications of gender politics ethics in China's digital public sphere in relation to the wider international community. All right. Yeah, I got it. Thanks so much for this very important question. And indeed, we have to say, um, first, very important uh, China as a rising uh, as a, a rising global power, uh, almost a superpower now. And indeed, uh, its social political chains, they are relevant to the wider society. Um, and, uh, uh, at least, uh, Chinese population accounts for at least one seventh of the world population, isn't it? So, uh, women's emancipation in China it has implication for the wide world because the wider society will also have a responsibility for this group of the world population. But in the meantime, very important as a nation, China is also uh, exerting its international uh, its influence on the world stage. And in many ways, the world views being propagated, they also have implications for other parts of the world. We don't see a uh, uh, a lot of that kind of exchanges between China and the global north, indeed, because global north uh, is also slightly problematic because of the unchanged uh, hierarchy within 
the global international geopolitics where Western domination indeed they're still relevant. But China is also exerting its influence on a lot of third world countries we could see in uh, in the Middle East, in Africa. Uh, China is aggressively uh, advancing its uh, agenda in international geopolitics through its um, uh, public diplomacy. And we could see in this process, uh, this uh, public di- displ- uh, diplomacy, uh, communication, external communications, that also reshapes the way in which um, uh, other parts of the world see China, and in particular see what's normal, uh, uh, what's perceived as normal in the society. So that has implications for those audience to understand, uh, uh, understand social issues, accru- uh, that kind of. Uh, which are relatable to them. And indeed, gender is considered one of the relevant as well. So I will say, uh, on this front, uh, China's uh, social worldview, it has such implications. And also, we are living in uh, an interconnected world these days. The global mobility is possible. And indeed, we have seen a lot of uh, international migrants living in China and also Chinese migrants living in other parts of the world. And uh, the uh, symbolic exchange, the idea exchange, are also playing out at this level indeed. And we could see um, uh, Chinese migrants in particular, they move abroad and they are also reshaping the democracy of other nations. And in this process, what ideas they bring to a local community over there also matters to the future trajectory of the uh, of the local community indeed. So uh, that's also why it's important to hold uh, those problematic misogynist views accountable uh, in, uh, against this backdrop. So I hope this answers your question. Thank you so much. So um, at the end of our episode today, I want to directly talk to our audience. So everybody listening to this podcast, I as a historian, as a gender historian in China, I highly recommend you come if you I mean, if you are interested of uh, taking interest in either uh, gender issue of feminism in China, or you're just interested in gender uh, theory of feminism or uh, digital culture in general sense, Anyway, I highly recommend that you consider buy a copy of Dr. Peng's fantastic <laughs> famous of reading of China's digital public sphere. It is one of the best book about this research topic, this, this research subject. So please remember the title. I want to repeat the title of this fantastic book, A Famous Reading of China's Digital Public Sphere, the fantastic book. So thank you so much for listening to our podcast episode today. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Shu, and uh, thanks so much for having me.